Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Thank you so much for joining us. We're having a great old time. Yes, we are. It's a pandemic, and we're having a great old time. We're not having a great old time because of the pandemic, but we are facing some of the pieces that are absolutely essential to our survival. In, in the last few weeks, we've been talking about money, and before that, we were talking about our home. And in the next few days, I want to be talking to you about some practical things in your home. And then, as I told you a few days ago, thank you, thank you, thank you for making your friends our friends. I think I have about six books left of the new shipment. I don't know how many that is altogether that we've sent out, but rah, hooray. Huzzah, as my friend would say, that these books are getting into the hands of people who not only love Elizabeth, but understand that this is a time of suffering. And suffering is not for nothing, says Elizabeth. And we're so glad to share this material with you. So as you have shared your friends with me, when I'm finished with this little series of money and re-scooping the house up, then I'm going to begin introducing you to some of my friends. I want to make you meet my friends because when we introduce our friends to one another, we give the greatest gift of all. We give the greatest gift of all. To say to someone, this is my friend, is an open invitation to make that person your friend. Now, when I was a young woman, I didn't get that. As a matter of fact, I was very stingy about it. And when I was a girl, I remember getting myself in trouble because someone would say, I didn't know you knew. And I thought, well, I didn't tell you because I don't want to tell you. If I tell you I know her, then you might make her friend, then they, you might leave me out. I, that's how insecure I was, how shame-based I was. Now, some of that starts when we're little girls. You've heard me tell those stories about nine-year-olds and how threesomes are almost always impossible. But as you mature, you come to recognize the greatest gift of all is introducing your friends to new people, introducing your friends to other friends, making the circle wider. And dear Paul wrote in the New Testament um, that the way of travel in those days in the first church was you literally left your town to go to another town, no matter how many miles that was walking away, and you had a letter of commendation. What did the letter say? The letter just said, I know Donna Otto. And when you showed them that letter, guess what? They let you move in. Literally, they welcome you into your their homes for a place to sleep, for food to eat, for care of your animals. Well, what happened was they took advantage of that. And pretty soon, non-church people were having letters of commendation that were fake and false. And you read in Corinthians, I think it is, or Colossians, when Paul says, Corinth, he, when he says to the people of the Church of Corinth, when they ask him for a letter of commendation, he said, I, I do not need a letter of commendation. I have written you on my heart. I have loved you and cared for you. And they all said, oh, yes, we remember. Oh, we almost forgot. So I want to talk uh, through these next weeks with some of my friends. And one of the things I've asked them to do is to be prepared to tell our audience, all of you who are my friends, the most valuable thing to them. 
I'm excited about it. I kind of guess what I think their most valuable thing is going to be, but will be it's going to be showtime. It's going to be tell. What do the kids do when they say in school? show and tell it's going to be show and tell and they're going to show it to me just as they tell it to you so i look forward to this time money 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 we've been talking about money the scripture and money what our hearts feel about money thank you again shanti and thank you for your emails keep writing us and telling us where you're listening from if you want to get in and get the last six books invite a friend to listen to us tell that friend to send us an email saying where they're listening from and we'll send you a book. Make sure we have your hard address so we can send it out. Money is a hard topic. Money right now. And if you are watching the news as I am, we see these horrific stories of people who lost their jobs and then lost their benefits. I watched something just a couple of days ago, a woman, a single mom with two children, and she said, I had $3.59 left in her bank account. I can barely say it without wanting to weep, but it is a condition of our country. And I want us to remember the stories of the Great Depression when so many people had lost so much, and yet they opened their porches and their back doors, and I want us to keep talking about how we share what we have and talking about how we train our children to be that way. So last time we were together, I gave you the principles for training your child it to be money wise. There are 12 principles. God's word discusses money. God owns everything. God calls us stewards. God <clears throat> wants us to work, work with our hands, be quiet and calm. God tells us to give not only to the church, but to one another. And the God tells us to give. That's five. So there are 12 all together. Today we're going to finish the rest of them. And you can find these principles on our website. Um, you can, can you hear me rustling my pages? Okay. God tells us to give. God tells us to save. God tells us to be happy with what we have. God tells us not to be in debt. God tells us to listen to our parents. God tells us to be honest. God tells us to accept his son as savior, and God tells us to be in community. And if you didn't listen to one word I said about any of those specifics, those 12 ingredients should be heart-rendering to you as well as you find ways to teach your children these 12 principles. So we talked about the first five or six the last time we were together, and today we're going to finish them. These principles are hands-on activities will assist you in training your children about money. God speaks of money more often than any other subject in the Bible. I find that really still incomprehensible. I remember the first time someone said that on the platform. I was a very young woman, and I thought, he's got to be kidding. God doesn't talk about money. What I mean, and you think about biblical times and what was money what did they use to barter with but then i have come to study the scripture myself and see that this is god's subject because it is a subject that 
lifts us up. It is a subject that we use to encourage others with, and it is something that drives us down, drives us down, takes away what God has given to us because we use it in wrong proportions. Materialism is epidemic in America. I don't have to tell you that. I know you know that. We talked last time we were together about a piece of information that I came across 10 or 12 years ago that said that in those days, this was before Twitter and TikTok and shall I go on and on and on of the uh, ways that we now offer advertisement that every one of us were confronted with 3,000 hits a day. Movies, TVs, papers, magazines, computers, telephones, billboards, clothes, and on and on and on go these assaults. I don't know what the number is today. I'd like to do that research, and I haven't done it. Materialism is epidemic, epidemic. So I want us to continue in these principles to see how we stand against the tide of materialism. So God tells us to save in Genesis chapter 41, there's the amazing story of Joseph. Joseph in his dreams and famine to come and store in the grain house so that the country can eat later. The wise man says that we are to save for the future. The foolish man spends whatever he gets. Proverbs 21 and 20. I have a young person in my life who qualifies for the foolish man. His mother said to me, Every dime he gets, he spends it. He spends it before he gets the dime. And then as soon as he gets it, he starts thinking about the next thing he's going to buy. Now, I didn't want to say to that mama, whoa, 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 he's still living in your house. Is that permitted? Is that allowed? What about savings? But the truth is that God tells us to save. In Proverbs 30, verses 24 and 25, we hear about the ants, this small little creature that the Proverbs used to remind us how we are to save. Maybe you've seen an ant carrying a tiny crumb from your picnic place to his place of storage. Four things on the earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people, not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. You can order ant farms for a teaching school tool, if you like, to watch how these little creatures save. There are a couple of other ways to think about savings with your children. A piggy bank, really, truly a piggy bank, any kind of piggy bank, but maybe it's in the shape of a piggy, or maybe it's in the shape of an ant. A jar or a jar or two, one with a jar for savings and one with a jar to save for giving. And then we've talked about these envelope systems, but emergency funds, even children have emergency needs. Maybe it's not a need. Maybe it's something they would love to attend, but is not in the family budget and they can save their dimes and nickels for it. My granddaughter is the greatest saver of all. And I, I'm telling you, I was not a very good saver. I've told you this before. My husband was the saver word and I was the spender word. And, but my granddaughter is just like her great grandmother. My mother 
who worked a very moderate income all of her life, low income you would consider it now, yet she bought and paid off two houses in her lifetime. And when she died, she had a nice little nest egg of her savings emergency fund. So teach your children to save discretionary funds to buy a big item like camp or a bike. Well, I, I have this money, I can spend it. Yes, but then you want something big, you won't have this money. So savings, that kind of savings. Seven, God tells us to be happy with what we have. And that's tied to thanksgiving and gratefulness. And we talked about this not long ago. But one of my most favorite things to do is to say to someone, give me 10. Give me 10, like 10 push-ups. Only give me 10 things that you're grateful for. And I'm going to do it right now. I'm testing myself. This is always hard. Because when you start out, you start out with the big ones. Like, I'm thankful for God. And I'm grateful for my husband. And I'm grateful for my family. And I'm grateful for the house I live in. And I'm grateful for the car I drive. Oh, now I'm at five. And I have to start thinking, what are the other five? Oh, I'm so grateful for so many things. I'm grateful for Jesus. I'm thankful for a quiet life. I'm thankful that I learned that God called me to spend quiet time with him every day. I'm grateful for friendships. I'm grateful for people, for men and women and children, and how God uses them to propagate and care for his kingdom. I'm thankful for my neighbors who, while I don't know them, I know they are human beings living in the same hood we live in now, and I'm looking forward to meet them. I don't know if that's 10 or not. I hope it was. But train your children not to look at others unless they can rejoice with what others have that they might not have. How are you doing with that, Mama? How are you doing with a gal who has a bigger house than you? How are you doing with somebody who just got a new car? How are you doing when she can go anywhere and you can't? My mother-in-law said to me many decades ago, it's hard to be friends with people who have more money than you. And I thought, now that isn't true in Christendom. And then, I, but as I grew older, I thought, I understood why she said that. Because every time one of my friends who's wealthier than I am does something that I cannot do, I have to say to myself, is that okay? Can I rejoice with them that they get to do that and not feel pity party for myself? Most of the time I can. Most of the time I can. Restate that God owns it all and gives what he desires. And your children need to understand that. They are happy to have what they have because God owns it all and he gives it to us proportionately. We live in a country that is considered one, if not the wealthiest countries in the world. Saving, giving, spending joyfully, we are can be generous without coveting. And we can watch others be generous doing things we cannot do. Next principle, God tells us not to be in debt. What is debt? What is owing something to someone? Did any of your children ever break a window and have to pay for it? Or lose a book in the library and have to pay for it? Or borrow an outfit and ruin it and have to pay for it? I borrowed a shirt and spilled something on the front of the shirt, and I had to save my money to replace it. I was in debt to her until I replaced the shirt. That's what debt is. God tells us not to be in debt in Romans 13, verse 8. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, 
verses 1 through 7, there's an amazing story about sons were to go and to get all the jars they could find from the neighbors in the garage. They were sons of a widow woman. She had nothing. And they were to go everywhere they could and find containers. Think about it. Every plastic container, every Tupperware, every balls jar, every bottle you ever, ever had, go and find it and bring them. Bring them. And then Elisha, the prophet, came and told the woman to take her last jar of oil and pour it into the next bottle. She wondered about that, don't you imagine? And she poured it into that bottle, and then she kept pouring it into every bottle and every jar and every container that her sons had found, and God used it to help her pay her debt. God will provide, but we have to be willing to sacrifice something when we do something to get us in debt. And remember this about debt. You signed on a credit card to say, I will pay my payment. Bankruptcy is an option. You have to ask the Lord how he wants you to handle that. Every situation is different, but I believe God wants us to do what is pleasing to him. The next principle is God tells us to listen to our parents and others who give us godly counsel. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 Children, obey your parents and listen to them. They are given to you by God. God knew what you needed and knew what they would provide for you. It is different than what another parent will provide for you. Proverbs 6, chapter 6, verses 20 through 22. And I'm going to read that to you. Can you hear me flipping my pages? I used to type all my passages, but that took a lot of time, so I decided to stop that. My child, keep your father's commandment, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you are awake, they will talk with you. Listen to the wise counsel of your parents. Solomon tells the story of Solomon and how he became the wisest man on earth. Tell your children that story and what Solomon's choices were. Take three pieces of rope and braid them together. We are stronger when we are joined with God. And God and parents and children are stronger when they abide in God, obey God, abide in their parents and obey their parents. The last one is God tells us not to steal. Bubbles and bubbles and the bubble blower. <laughs> this is the activity. Let them blow bubbles and see how fast a bubble disappears. Bubbles are like lies. They never last. You can't even remember them when you say them sometimes. One lie means you have to tell another and you can't remember any of the others. And you get yourself in trouble. Or take a jar with water and put red food coloring, five or six drops, add a quarter of oil, to, sh to the jar and shake it and then let it rest. What rises to the top? The truth always rises to the top. The truth always matters. Exodus tells us in the Old Covenant and Ephesians in the New Covenant that tells us that God calls us not to lie. Being honest brings you a good reputation. Being honest is obeying God. Being honest brings you to a quiet and peaceful life. When I was a very young girl, 
If you've been around for a long time, you may have heard this story. I was a very young girl, 16 years old. I had a driver's permit. I was learning to drive. I did not have a driver's license. And I was driving with my boyfriend in his car, driving his car. And at a special corner in the city of Chicago, there were signs that said, no left turn. And when I got to the corner, I didn't see the no left turn. So I was going south, and I turned east. That was the left turn. And the policeman was sitting right there. They wait there because people do it all the time. And he pulled me over, and he gave me a tinket. A tinket. And my parents were divorced. My mother did not have a car. So I had to call my father, tell him about the tinket, and had to take him to court with me. Oh, my goodness, it was such an ordeal. And my mother was furious with me because it was going to cost a lot of money, and then my father had to be into it. Oh, my gosh, it was such a big deal. It was right before then that I had said yes. I had said the big yes, what I call the big yes. It's the first surrender to God. And so I called myself a Christian. And I knew that Christians didn't lie. I just knew that. So my father comes to pick me up. First of all, I dressed up. I can still tell you exactly what I wore. It was a white dress, sleeveless white dress, red high-heeled shoes, and a red purse, a long clutch purse that I put under my arm. When I got to the street, my father just looked at me, and he said, what did you get all dolled up for? You're supposed to go to court looking sort of... I said, well, because I want to make a good impression with the judge. He did not like that idea. In the car, he started to ask me what I was going to tell the judge, and I said, simply, I'm going to tell him the truth. And he said, the truth will never work. So I get to the courtroom. They call my name, and I go up with my white dress and my red purse. And the judge said, Miss Santani, can you tell me what happened here? And I said, well, you see, Your Honor, I was driving and I turned. And the next time I went through that corner, I was driving the other way, and I turned. And I thought, well, that's not a left-hand turn, because I still have a hard time, and I held both of my hands in front of me, remembering what's left and what's right. The judge got this big smile on his face, and he said, Miss Santani, what are you going to do when you get to that corner again? I said, I'm never turning anyway. <laughs> I'm not turning at all when I go through those streets. He smiled, and he said, case dismissed. My father just shook his head. He said, I can't believe you did that. And I've always remembered that, always remembered that, because it wasn't only my telling the truth that was important to me. It was important for me to tell the truth in front of my father, who had not ever said at that time, yes to Christ. So here we are, principles of money, basic principles of living our life, and we end with this on honesty. Peace be with you. Remember the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day following the principles of God in your money matters. 